Come, Holy Spirit, come. Teach us the word of God. Fill us with the love of God and transform our hearts that we would know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the key to knowing the parable that Jesus told this rich landowner who kept building bigger barns is that God owns everything. We're going to look at the key to this parable that God owns everything, and we're also going to look at this dialogue that this foolish man had with himself as a way of understanding why God says, you're a fool. And then we'll look at what it consists of real life. What consists of real life. It's easy for us to forget that God owns everything. God owns everything. It all belongs to God. To Job, God says, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. To Moses, he said, all the earth is mine. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means everything. God owned the land of the children of Israel And he gave them prescriptions about what they were supposed to do to it. Those who had crops, they weren't supposed to gain all the crops on the field. They were supposed to leave the edges unharvested. Why? So the poor and the needy could come and harvest the edges of people's lands. The Lord, because he owned the land and because it belongs to him... Every 50 years, there would be a year of jubilee. And in this year of jubilee, all the slaves were set free. All of the debts were reconciled. All the land went back to the original owners. God had, every 50 years, an economic reset because everything belonged to him. We often forget that, and that was, of course, the rich landowner's misnomer. He was misinformed. Jesus says to them and to us, be on guard. Watch out. Don't get involved in all types of greed because it will and can destroy your relationship with God. The other thing is that did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than any other subject? In the Gospels, if you add it all up, he spoke about money more than any other subject except his main subject, which is the kingdom of God. And he had to clarify how money, which has so much power over us and how possessions that often possess us, how money and possessions work underneath the rule and the reign of God. So for those who have come into God's kingdom and under God's rule and reign, Jesus needed to let people know how money and possessions work under and in God's kingdom. And that's part of what we have today. We are very susceptible as Americans, given our cultural situation. Does anybody remember the book Tuesdays with Maury? 
very popular book, which was also a TV uh, film, uh, Maury Schwartz is a professor who's struggling from ALS, and he is going uh, to, to die. Mitch Albin is speaking with him, and this is a quote about how Maury, who's going to die, explains to Mitch how our obsessions with acquisitions is so dominating. This is, uh, this is amazing. Maury says, we've got a sort of brainwashing going on in our country, Maury sighed. Do you know how, the brainwa- how they brainwash people? They repeat something over and over. And that's what we do in this country. Owning things is good. More money is good. More property is good. More commercialism is good. More is good. More is good. They repeat it and have it repeated to us over and over until nobody bothers to even think otherwise. The average person is so fogged up by all of this, he has no perspective on what's what's really important anymore. Isn't that powerful? That's the culture that we live in. So we have to hear again the words of Jesus, not only the warning of Jesus against greed and that life does not consist in our possessions, but we also have to listen to how we handle money and possessions in the kingdom of God, as children of God. It's so very important. And this could be a series that had 10 sessions, and so we're going to fly really high today. Well, let's go to this dialogue that the wealthy landowner has with himself. Uh, I've been enjoying reading cultural studies uh, about the New Testament and people that have done a lot of scholarship, and one of those scholars pointed out that someone listening in the time of Jesus to this parable would hear this parable different than we do. We hear this parable as Americans and we think, well, sure, this guy owns the land, it's his crops, he gets to decide what he wants to do with it. Everybody has their rights, right? They, first off, would say, why is he talking to only himself? You would never make a decision without consulting the local elders of the community. You wouldn't make a decision without talking to your friends. You wouldn't make a decision just on your own because their life was so communal that you would never do anything like that because it would bring shame upon you for stepping outside of the community and its decision-making process. See, we never even think about that when we hear this parable because we think as isolated individuals with rights. But that's not how it was in the time of Jesus. Things were communal, culturally communal. So the fact that he's not consulting others to make this decision is very strange, but we miss that. But for us, really the most important thing about this parable is is that he's dialoguing with himself. He's dialoguing with himself about his land, my land, my barn, my crops, my life. And guess who he's not dialoguing with? With God. And God owns everything. And so 
He's dialoguing with himself about what he's going to do with his life, soul, I'm going to take my ease and eat and drink and be merry. And then God says, you are a fool because the life that you don't even own is being called back tonight. And all of this stuff, where is it going to go? It's just going to go to other people. And so because he only thought about himself, because his dialogue was only with himself and not with God, he missed out on the opportunity that he was given. And the opportunity that he was given was to come into the kingdom of God and come under the rule and reign of God, which would order his life properly, where he would know that everything that he's been given is a gift from God and that he's responsible for whatever he is, has been given as a steward to use it for his own good but for the good of others. And so he missed out on the opportunity to be rich for or toward God because when we use the gifts and the resources that come from God for the good for others, for community, then we are becoming rich in and for and towards God. So the proper way to use money and possessions is ordered under God's will for our own good and the good of others, especially those who are poor and needy. And so you have ancient commentators like Augustine from North Africa who said this man did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Because if he had placed some of those resources into the bellies of the poor, if he had poured those resources into the ministry of God or his community for the common good, he would have been rich toward God. But he ended up being very, very poor. God calls him a fool. We don't know exactly what the judgment might be because that's not a part of the parable. But surely he is not operating within the kingdom of God. And so we're called to use money and possessions not only for our own good as gifts given by God, but for the good of others. And guess what? It doesn't matter how much you have. This is not about bad, rich people or the elite. This is about me, and this is about you. Because if you have any excess whatsoever, if you're not abjectly poor, this applies to me and to you. And however much we have been given and how much excess we have, we're called to use it for the glory of God. And... In that way, we have the opportunity, and we don't want to miss it, to become rich toward God. Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where it rusts and it gets messed up and people steal it or, you know, you lose it. Store up treasures in heaven where all of those things can't ever be taken away because it's what you take with you. We take with us our cooperation with God. We take with us doing God's will. We take with us 
who we have developed in our souls to be godly people, we take with us virtue and good works. Those things end up becoming eternal. And so, this is, uh, this is really... This is really tough stuff, isn't it? Because we're all attached to our possessions. I pay attention uh, to how much I have in the pension fund uh, because sometime I intend to retire. And so it's not that we don't need to pay attention to money. We need to pay attention to money and our possessions. We just can't allow those possessions and money to possess us. And we have to make sure that on a regular basis, we are giving away what we can to God's ministry, to God's kingdom, to the poor, and to outreach, to community things, because that's simply God's will. And so, thirdly, what does life consist of? Well, life consists of God. Let me say that again. Most of us think, well, my life consists of, you know, I've, I've grown up, I've gotten an education, I'm sort of figured out what I'm good at, and uh, so I'm going to try to, you know, make as much money as I can and, you know, push, it, push this thing as far as I can and, and then hopefully relax and, and, and then, you know, try to keep it going as long as I can before I die. I mean, that's the general sort of outlook, right? But real life consists of God. Because only God has life. He forgot this, and we forget this. The life that we've been given is a gift. It's not even ours. And the proof of that is that we can't retain it. There is a time when we're going to lose it. We lose it to death. All of our activity, our whole life, we lose it. And we have to depend on God to give us life again, don't we? So life consists of God because God is the only one who possesses life. And therefore, everything that we do, everything we think, our entire life is being connected and being in communion with God who has life. And then ordering our life according to God's will. And as we do that, as we love the Lord our God with all of our mind, our soul, our strength, which means our resources, that doesn't mean like lifting weights in the gym, it's our powers, what we have at our disposal to do things, and we love our neighbor as ourself, that's what life is. That's the abundant life. To come to trust, to know, to love, and to serve God, and to love one another, and to and to give as we can. And that's really what life consists of. And that's the life that will move with us into eternity. That's being rich towards God. That's treasure in heaven. And so we're called to that life. And that, in fact, is why Paul says to us today, those who have been baptized who have died with Christ and are raised with him, who are headed toward life with him forever, those who uh, are really no longer citizens of this world in the most essential aspect. That's why Paul says, 
So if you've been raised with Christ, and if you've been baptized, that's what happened. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. God is life, the only source of life. Your life is hidden in God with Christ. I know this is, uh, I, I know it's Sunday morning, all of us probably need more coffee. Uh, <laughs> by, by the faces, I, I wonder what you're thinking. But this is not just religious language, this is kingdom language to remind us not to get so caught up with the things of this world. We have to make money, we have to uh, feed our families, and if we have an excess, However large that excess is, God simply calls us to share, to give, to be generous as a means of loving your neighbor. It's not really that complex, actually. Even a simple farmer can get it, but this unfortunate rich fool missed his opportunity to become rich towards God. He missed his opportunity to put treasure in heaven simply by being generous with the gifts that God has given him. Let us learn from the rich fool and depend on Christ in the Spirit to help us love God and love our neighbor. Amen.